morning. Welcome to worship here at Bethany Community Church. Welcome if you're joining us online. We're so glad to have you. My name is Abby Odio. I'm a pastor here. And we kicked off this new year with a series through the book of Job. And if you've been with us for any of uh, these weeks, you know that there is really nothing to envy about Job's story. Uh, This is a book in the Bible about a good man who suffers greatly. At the start of the story, uh, Job loses his livelihood. He then loses his 10 children and then loses his health. Uh, As Eric talked about last week, his friends kind of show up with little to offer. And in the midst of that suffering, Job is moved to ask a really important question. But wisdom, he says, where can it be found? I have a friend who um, formerly taught preaching at a seminary, and as part of his work and research, he actually traveled all over the world, visiting churches, talking with people and pastors. And the question driving his studies was essentially, what is the point of preaching in today's world? Like, why do people listen? What questions do they hope are answered? Of course, we know worship is far more than just a sermon, but their area of focus was on this particular thing. And after hundreds of interviews and sort of time exploring this question, their team determined that what people are searching for is an answer to this question, how is this all held together? How is this all held together? Across the globe in every class and culture, this seemed to be the distilled and driving desire to know that. Not just who is God, but who is God in relation to my embodied experience of life? How does God infuse meaning and and purpose and direction and hope into not only my personal story, but also our collective communal story? How is it all held together? And the word they came up with to describe this desire, it wasn't inspiration. It wasn't knowledge. It's the very same thing Job asks about. It's wisdom. That word wisdom has its roots in Old English. It actually comes from a verb that means to see. It implies a sense of perspective and lived experience, a way of understanding life that is sort of integrated and whole. And nowhere is this desire for wisdom, for a sense of knowing how things are held together, greater than when we experience suffering, greater than when everything is seemingly falling apart. And this makes total sense because if we can have a coherent view of life in the most difficult moments when we're kind of in the trenches of pain and uncertainty, then certainly I will have a wisdom that is coherent in all seasons of life. When uh, my husband Sam and I first started dating, he was really into road biking. And like any kind of hopeful, significant other, I pretended to be really into road biking. Uh, that's not totally true. I was interested, but I didn't realize when I vocalized that interest, how he would hear it. So fast forward a few months and I am now training for a road bike race. That is not something I was interested in. And in the community where we lived at the time, there was a notoriously hard hill called Old La Honda. And in a way it was like this rite of passage for bikers to try to get up that hill. And as part of our training regiment, Sam took me up this hill and about halfway to the top, I started having serious doubts about the race, about my own physical strength and ability, about Sam's love for me, about quite honestly, my love for him in that moment. At some point we stopped for a break and he he said something to this effect. He said, if you can do this, if you can make it up this hill, you can do anything with this bike. 
not true. Uh, but as I was reading through the book of Job, I kind of, this experience came to mind. See, we long for wisdom. We long more than anything for a paradigm that holds it all together. And never are our paradigms more challenged than when we're confronted with difficult circumstances, when we're riding up the hill that is too steep and we're calling it all into question. See, Job's reality is certainly the hardest reality I could ever imagine, the hardest hill. And he finds through the suffering, what he finds is not necessarily answers, but the thing that Proverbs 8 and Job 28 tells us is more precious than rubies. Job knows wisdom. And because it's a wisdom forged and found in the most difficult imaginable circumstances, it's a deeply credible witness, a deeply hard but encouraging word. If this wisdom holds for Job, it will hold in any challenge. So as we, we study our text for today, we hold that question, where is wisdom found? And from Job's story, we learn this, wisdom is found in the fight, wisdom is found in the finite, and wisdom is found in the fear. Fight, finite, and fear. That's where we're going. As we do that, I'd love for us to just say a word of prayer together. Loving God, I know in this room, in this moment, those tuning in with us online, God, as we worship, we we long for a way of seeing and being in the world that holds it all together. And God, we are here, every single one of us, I believe it, we are here because we trust that there's something about who you are that offers answer and insight and grounding in that question. So Father, I pray for these friends. I pray especially for the people right now who find themselves in the midst of suffering. May we find a word of hope and encouragement and life in these words from a very difficult book. God, speak to us that we may be changed, that we may become people of love and hope in your world. Amen. So first we look at this truth that... uh, that uh, wisdom exemplified in Job's life, which is that wisdom is found in the fight. Wisdom is found in the fight. Now, to be clear, I don't mean fight as an act of violence, but rather fight as an uh, staying in the ongoing struggle, staying aware of your own experience, staying honest with God, staying in the fight. One of the, the books that my kids love to read right now is called We're Going on a Bear Hunt. Show of hands, how many know that book? How many have that book memorized? How many never want to hear that book again? Well, my kids love it. And it's a picture book about a family that goes looking for a bear. And as you know, as they go on this adventure, they encounter all sorts of obstacles, like tall grass and a river and a dark cave. And throughout the book, the refrain is, we can't go over it. We can't go under it. Oh no, we've got to go through it. A few weeks ago, I read this book and my older son remarked that they have an option there for getting, which is to turn around. He informed me that that is the option he would take because he does not like to be cold. But of course, we know that for Job and for most of us in suffering, this is not an option. Cold or not, Job must find a way through. See, our text for today from chapter 28 is interesting because what we have in it is a moment of striking clarity for Job. He's been on this roller coaster ride of emotion and grief and anger. And in this chapter, he actually speaks with authority and clarity about wisdom. He says, it is the fear of God and avoidance of evil. Now, we'll get to kind of unpacking that statement in a moment. But what I want us to notice is that at the very beginning of the book of Job, 
Job is described by the narrator and by God as one who fears God and avoids evil. But it's not until chapter 28 that the word wisdom is used. See, as we read through the book of Job, we realize that Job still believes the same things about God that he believed in chapter one when life circumstances were good. His theology has not changed. His doctrine has not changed, but he is different. You could say the way he embodies or lives that theology has changed. He has grown in wisdom because of the way he has stayed engaged with God through his struggle. The theologian Ellen Davis captures this part of Job's experience so well. She writes this, from this book above all others in scripture, we learn that the person in pain is a theologian of unique authority. The sufferer who keeps looking for God in the end has privileged knowledge. The one who complains to God, rails at God, does not let God off the hook for a minute. She is at last admitted to a mystery. She passes through a door that only pain will open and is thus qualified to speak of God in a way others in whom we generally call more fortunate cannot speak. One of the greatest struggles in my own story happened in the context of community. It didn't happen to me, but it happened to people I loved. Um, This is one of kind of the great glories of the church. When one suffers, the body suffers. About seven years ago, my dearest friend who I've known my whole life called to tell me that her son, Justice, he was four years old at the time, had been taken by hospital uh, to the hospital uh, by an ambulance. He'd been sick with a virus, not unlike the viruses kids seem to get all the time. They'd gone to the doctor. The doctor had confirmed as much. But a few days later, Justice woke up from a nap and actually collapsed onto the floor. So they called 911. And this led to uh, a Job moment for them. Four months in the hospital, most of that time, Justice was sedated with swelling so bad in his brain, they had to cut out part of his skull so he could survive. And similar to Job, there were no answers. Doctors couldn't pinpoint what virus had caused this or why. Certainly no word from God on that front. I'll never forget one of my visits to be with them at OHSU in Portland, where he was. Uh, The doctor came out to talk to Elise and I, my friend, and uh, he said to us, you know, we get the sickest kids um, in the whole state are in this hospital, and your son is the sickest kid in this hospital. Now, praise God, Justice survived, and his life continues to be a profound gift, but his story is different than it would have otherwise been. He cannot swallow or eat. He communicates love with gestures and smiles, but he can't talk. His movement and sleep is limited by ongoing seizures. It's a miracle that he is here. It is still also very hard. One of the greatest privileges I've had is watching Justice's parents navigate this fight. We actually named our younger son after his name's Frederick Justice Odio, after him. And when we asked his parents if that would be okay, we said to them, we're, we're naming him after justice because we love justice, but we're naming him after justice because you, the way you have walked through this has changed us. It's changed our faith. They stayed in it with justice, obviously, but also with God. Like Job, they wept and they said, why not me? Take me. And they cried out in pain and they prayed and they wouldn't accept platitudes. And because I know them well, I know that today they still believe the same things about God they believed before justice got sick, but that theology lives in their bones in a different way. Recently, I was on the phone with them and we were talking about faith in, in Jesus. And, um, 
Jason, the dad made the comment, you know, my faith, it won't ever, it won't ever be the same. And I asked him, do you mean that in a good way? And he said, I mean it in a really honest way. That line has sort of haunted me as I've read Job. See, for Job and for Jason and for all of us who choose to stay in the fight, there is a true and real and weathered faith that is forged in us. And to be clear, that doesn't make it worth it. It doesn't mean we seek out deep pain or turn a blind eye to injustice, but it does mean that when suffering finds us in this fallen world, there is a way through. It's interesting, one of the the first times we see that word wisdom used in scripture is actually in Genesis chapter three. Before the woman takes a bite of the fruit, the serpent sort of dangles it in front of her like a carrot on a stick. She, She sees that the fruit is desirable for gaining wisdom. There's that word again that Job used. So Eve takes the fruit. Now I want us to compare for a moment this picture of wisdom that we see in the story of Job versus that of Eve. Both are tempted by forces and circumstances outside of themselves. Job chooses to stay in the fight. He stays attuned to his suffering and honest with God. Eve, on the other hand, chooses what she thinks will be a fast track to wisdom, but instead ends up disconnected from God, disconnected from the very thing she was hoping to gain. And so as we entertain that question, how does it all fit? Where is wisdom to be found? We can learn from these models. We live in a world where we look for the quickest perceived route out of pain, and that makes sense. And yet so often these quick attempts like Eve end up not remedying, not leading to wisdom, but leading us further from the very thing we're after. Buying stuff we don't need. Acting as though we're indifferent or or tough enough to handle it. Simple avoidance, excessive consumption of food or, or drink. Harvard University just came out with a study earlier this month that said binge drinking in the U.S. is up 21% since the start of the pandemic. This isn't because people are bored. It's not because they're throwing parties. It's because we're in a struggle and we want a way out that is not through. We would rather numb our feelings than feel them. We would rather ignore what is hard than address the hurt of it. The author of the book of James would later hold up Job as an example because of this quality of endurance that we see in his story. We can't go over it, can't go under it. We gotta go through it. In going through, Job experiences personal heartache that utterly breaks him. In going through, he sees injustice happening to the poor and he connects with that and it's troubling. In going through, he feels anger towards God and and that's uncomfortable. And yet despite all of that is unthinkably hard about his story, he stays in honest conversation with God and that honesty is precisely Job's faithfulness. The pastor Barbara Brown Taylor writes this, for those willing to stay awake, pain remains a reliable altar in the world. Altar means a place where we meet God a place to discover that a life can be as full of meaning as it can of hurt. Is there an experience you're navigating right now by choosing not to navigate it? Is there grief you haven't acknowledged? Have we chosen the perceived immediacy of the apple instead of the endurance of the hill? That brings us to the second point, which builds on the first, and it's this wisdom is found in the finite. Wisdom is found in the finite. You could also say it's found in the limitation. Today we heard uh, Job 28 read beginning in verse 12, where Job asked that question about wisdom. But had we started in verse one, we'd see that the chapter begins with a rather random pontification on mining, as in like digging material out of the earth. 
Now in that day, mining was one of the most advanced technologies of the time. And Job is highlighting sort of the depths of human ingenuity. For instance, in verse nine, he says this, humans thrust their hands into flint, pull up mountains from their roots, cut channels into rocks. Their eyes see everything precious. In other words, he's saying humans are capable. They are able, they are competent. If there is something hidden in the earth, they will dig until they find it. But then it comes to wisdom. And he says this in verse 13, humankind doesn't know its value. It isn't found in the land of the living. In other words, you can't just find wisdom by your own brilliance, your own knowledge, your own strength. We are limited. When we choose to stay in the fight, this is where we ultimately end up. An awareness that even the greatest of human efforts will not get me up the hill. Now, if we go back to Genesis, we actually see that this limitation is part of God's design. When God creates the first man and woman and puts them in the garden, he says, all of this is yours. Eat from any tree that you want to eat from, but not this particular tree. Now think about it. Why would God do that? It's a very strange thing. This has literally kept me up at night thinking about this question. Nobody else? I got one. But it seems so arbitrary. Like, why this tree? Why not give us free reign and and share all that you have? I imagine this is how my kids feel when I tell them they can't watch Disney's Encanto movie all day, every day. Like, why deprive us of such clear goodness? And when it comes to God, the truth is we don't know the why of the tree. And that mystery is precisely the point. See, one of the hardest realities of faith is that God created us in his image, but not as his equals. God created us and said, you are infinitely loved, but you're not actually infinitely powerful. And in a way, I I imagine the tree in the garden, this particular limitation, when the man and woman looked at it prior to the moment they ate the fruit, it served as this invitation to remember God is God and I am not God. An invitation to this posture of worship, of centering and trusting God in their life. He said, don't eat the tree. We won't eat the tree. Now they did eat the fruit and and suffering and sin enter the story. And we know that God delights in neither of these realities. It's really important to name that. And it's also true that our limitations in the struggle can still be a signpost to God's divinity, to God's otherness, to his holiness. I know that in this room right now, and those of you listening online, many of us are navigating life now with a huge awareness of our limitation. Healthcare workers in our midst, we've heard from some of you this week, you're exhausted, tired, broken. Parents, deep in the thick of a pandemic you cannot control. I know there are folks who have been victims of unspeakable pain at the hands of someone whose actions you had no power to change. All of us, we have these parts of our story. Infertility, we cannot control. A diagnosis, we cannot change. A family of origin, we cannot change. Now, to be clear, there's a lot in life we can control and that we're called to change. And there are also certain realities that lie outside of that. See, as we honestly navigate these spaces, we come to a point where our knowing and doing encounters limitation, where God is no longer our peer. There's a severe mystery that we must embrace. 
And while this reality is really hard and difficult, it's also good news because those of you who have been through it, you know that when suffering happens, you need your peers to be sure. You need your community to show up and to rally around you and to sit with you and to cook you meals. But we don't only need our peers. We need a God. We need someone worthy of worship, someone who can hold both our lament and our praise. And in these, the very hardest moments, wisdom is not knowledge of why something happened, but awareness of who that someone is. There's a Christian blogger I'll sometimes read whose name is Ben Irwin. He writes a lot about millennials and why so many of them are leaving the church or have left the church. And this isn't a topic that intrigues me, so I've read quite a bit of his stuff. And a while back, he had a post where he talked about how a lot of times pastors of churches will, on the one hand, either try to explain the plight of suffering and what God must have been thinking or, or why this happened. Or on the other hand, they'll ignore the painful parts of life altogether and go along with this sort of facade of like, I'm fine, you're fine, we're all fine. And he says, neither of these approaches adequately addresses the pain. You could say neither of these offers a paradigm of wisdom. And what I found to be this super insightful observation, Ben Irwin writes this, when a church tells me how I should feel, parentheses clap if you're excited about Jesus, it smacks of inauthenticity. Sometimes I don't feel like clapping. Sometimes I need to worship in the midst of my brokenness and confusion, not in spite of it, and certainly not in denial of it. See, in a way, the churches Irwin writes about here are like Job's friends. They believed there was a way to explain this. They couldn't admit it was beyond their own ability to understand. And so at least in this story, they never get to honest worship. The friends never talk directly to God. Uh, During Justice's sickness, we embraced the scientific truth that the moon is always round. That phrase became a bit of a mantra for us. As you likely know, there are different phases of the moon depending on the sun and the earth and how that's all aligned. And it changes, of course, throughout the month, uh, what we're able to see from where we stand. There's a side of the moon that is always dark, never seen. It's, it's mysterious, yet even in, in its mystery, we're certain of its existence. And so this scientific truth uh, came to represent for us a spiritual truth that in our painful limitation, God's unchanging nature remained present. Did we ask the question why when it came to justice and sickness? Absolutely, we still ask that. But in reality, there is no answer to that question that would actually suffice. But the honesty and the limitation brought us into deeper touch with the mystery of God and oh, how we needed, oh, how we need a God who is other, who is beyond, who is mystery. That brings us to this final answer to Job's question about where wisdom is to be found And it's this, wisdom is found in the fear. Wisdom is found in the fear. This particular uh, point is most clearly articulated by Job in the final verse of chapter 28, when Job quite plainly states, look, the fear of the Lord is wisdom. See, when we see that word fear used to talk about God, it can puzzle us. Fear certainly can be um, a response to something scary, but with reference to God, it generally alludes to a sense of awe or, or wonder. We experience this kind of fear when we realize our own finite, limited capacity, when we realize that God is actually beyond our control. 
10 chapters beyond our text for today in Job 38.1, God finally breaks his silence and shows up to Job. And this is what we read. Then the Lord answered Job from the storm. And this way God chooses to show up is certainly terrifying. There's nothing more fear-inducing than a storm. My parents still tell the story about a time we were traveling in the Midwest when I was young and we encountered a huge storm. And for months after that storm, as my parents like to tell it, whenever it would rain, Abby would crawl under the table. That's sort of true, but I did it because storms are frightening. They remind us there are forces in this world that we cannot manage, we can't predict. And this is Job's experience of God. He is other, he is powerful, he is holy. He will not be manipulated or controlled. This is not the smiling and handsome God from our childhood felt boards. This is the God of the hurricane. In fact, in chapter nine, Job reveals his fear that God will show up in the storm. And he says, I'm, I have fear because he might crush me. He's realized he is finite and that lack of control has led to a, a deep and real and understandable anxiety in him. Nothing is holding this all together. Now, keeping that in mind, I want to turn our focus to the word Lord that we see in both chapter 28 and 38. See, throughout the Old Testament, there are different words, this is really important, used to talk about God. And the word Job uses in verse 28 when he says, the fear of the Lord is wisdom is Adonai. Now, Adonai is a title given to speak about God, and it's most often used as a term of kind of great reverence. It's a word that names the holy and impersonal distance between two beings, a distance that evokes awe and fear. Adonai speaks in sort of this general way about a God who is Lord, absolutely Lord over all. But stick with me. If we look at Job 38, and the moment God appears in the storm, the word that is also translated Lord is not Adonai, but it's Yahweh. And this matters because Yahweh has different connotations than Adonai. See, Yahweh is the particular name by God himself to those whom he exists in relationship. It's the name he gave to Moses when he, he called him and set in, mo in motion this great rescue. See, the word Yahweh, it implies a closeness and a care. So when God shows up in the storm, he does so with a power and a might that is beyond us and mysterious and fear-inducing. But he also shows up as, as Yahweh, as one who is personal, caring, in our midst, loving, known by name. There's a wisdom in knowing that we are finite, but it doesn't end there. When we, we step into the mystery, we find a God who is fearful, yes, but also deeply personal, deeply loving, deeply for us. The storm does not crush Job. And friends, this is, this is the good news in this hard story. The storm does not crush us. In his letter to the church in Corinth, Paul would engage that word wisdom with regard to the cross that Jesus died on. See, if you're on the outside looking in, Paul would say, the story of Jesus's death on the cross, it looks like foolishness. It looks like pain and defeat and weakness. But actually, it's wisdom. Actually, the cross of Jesus is the thing that's holding it all together. In it, there is both a power of hurricane strength and a love of imaginal, unimaginable depth. In Jesus on the cross, we see this God who is both Adonai and Yahweh. And wisdom, wisdom is learning to see our life and our pain in light of that story. 
When I envision Job's life after this stormy encounter with God, I imagine that he lived with great wisdom. And this wisdom, it didn't erase the unspeakable grief he carried around losing his children. It didn't solve all the questions or wonderings he had moving forward. It didn't keep him from one day facing his own suffering and death. He still carried his scars, but I imagine it did break open something within him and allow him to see and live differently, to be more attuned to to the suffering of those around him. To, to show up for them less out of duty and more out of care. We'll talk about kind of the prophetic voice of Job more next week. I imagine folks in the community sought him out, not because he was brilliant, but because he lived in a way that seemed anchored, honest, held, wise. The author and social commentator David Brooks uh, recently navigated a, a difficult life season. He went through a painful and somewhat public divorce And he found himself at this very low place, kind of unexpectedly in the middle of his life. And from that place, he actually found Christ. He became a self-proclaimed confused Christian. I read that and thought, welcome to the club, man. Um, Grace can be very confusing. And like Job, his experience led him to a place of realizing his own limitation, that he needed a God who could actually, in this moment, hold it all together. And this led him to the wisdom of the cross. Here's how he described that experience. He said, the knowledge that we acquire through suffering can be articulated, but it can't really be understood by someone who did not endure the path it took to get there. I will say I did not come out of that pit with empty hands. Life had to beat me up a bit before I was tender enough to be touched. It had to break me open a bit before I could be broken open. Suffering opened up the deepest sources of the self and exposed fresh soil for new growth. Hear this, friends, especially if you find yourself today in this moment in a place of hardship or suffering. Your hands will not be empty. Your hands will not be empty. You may feel empty in this moment, but this is the hope we find deep in Job's weathered story. This is the good news of the cross. It's certainly not easy, but never ultimately empty. Let's pray together. Loving God, we thank you that you showed up in the storm. That in that storm, you made yourself known to Job in power, mystery, and love. God, we thank you that you show up for each of us in the person of Christ on the cross, a deep and powerful mystery motivated by a similar deep and powerful love. God, I pray especially for people listening right now who are sitting in a season that is difficult. The way forward does not seem clear. They feel pressed on every side. Suffering is not something they wonder about, but something they're actually in the midst of. God, I ask that you give them uh, the courage, give us all the courage we need to stay in conversation with you, to to enter into those experiences, trusting that uh, our pain is not a lack of faith, but Actually, as we, as we talk with you through it, as we, we stay with you in it, that is faithfulness. God, we're so grateful to be your children. We're grateful that 
Uh, when the way seems unclear, you say there is a way forward. That you hold us in that. That we do not have to be afraid. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.